0: You're listening to the City World Radio Network, high-definition digital radio broadcasting from the city to the world, www.cityworldradio.com.
1: Good evening, and welcome to Morph Mom Moments Radio. What an incredibly special night tonight. But... What a really, really important night. And I want everyone to just sit back and listen because what we're going to talk about tonight is difficult, it's hard, but it is so important and it is so relevant and it is so emergent and it's so something that needs to be brought to the forefront and talked about. And I'm forever grateful and you're about to hear where I am and what we're going to talk about for Trinitas Regional Medical Center for allowing us to host the show here tonight and do what we're going to do. Before I get into that, now there's a little bit of teaser so hold, hold tight. For those of you who don't know what you've just gotten yourself into, I'm Kathleen Smith from Morph Mom Moments Radio. Welcome back to those who usually come, and welcome to those who are new. Uh, very quickly, uh, Morph Mom, we started this about eight years ago when I couldn't figure out what to do, and I thought what better than to tell what others are doing and to spread the word and help to connect to those looking what they need to do next. So to find your next step, we found the best way to was interview women around the country who had done it. Figure out what to do, what steps worked, what steps didn't work, and to share those through the Power of Story. We do this through the Huff- Running for the Huffington Post, through radio shows like this, through conferences. Our next one is coming up November 11th, um, through monthly events and through an online club. Whatever way we can get the story out to help somebody out there, we're going to do it. And to find more about us, go to morphom.com, M-O-R-P-H-M-O-M.com. You can sign up for our conferences and our events, and you can listen to the radio shows and trust me, you're going to want to do this, our radio shows become a podcast, and you're going to want to listen to tonight tonight's show again and again and again. And let's get to why we're here tonight and the importance of sharing stories and just to help others get through what, to help to connect women or anyone who needs to figure out how to get to that next step. And... As many of us know and many of us experienced, and we all know someone who's experienced, someone who really needs help, someone who's going through emotional or mental or behavioral difficulty and needs emergent help or constant help, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. It's very exciting that we're live from the Trinitas Regional Medical Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Um, What I've learned about this facility and what they do is outstanding, and I'm just so excited to share this tonight. Um, We're currently actually seated in the Trinitas Behavioral Health Facility, and again, that's what we're really going to focus on tonight, Um, and we're going to learn that there's a foundation that supports what you do here, as well as an event that's coming up, the Peace of Mind event that will be on October 29th, um, hosted by Merrill Hemingway and Jack Ford, again, part of the fundraiser, part of the overall foundation to better the facility to allow to help more and more and the most we can. So I want to welcome my guest tonight, Nadine Breckner, who's the Chief Development Officer at Trinitas, and Dr. Marianne Farag, who's the Director of Emergency Services. Welcome to you both. Oh, good to see you. Thanks. Glad to be here. Wonderful to be with you. So I don't think, I clearly did not do it justice in explaining what it is you guys do here and sort of the overview of what happens and how it happens. So Nadine, will you give us sort of an overall view of what happens and what what we're doing here and with the fundraiser that's coming up and the real reason why this foundation is is raising the money for the hospital.
2: Oh my pleasure. Thank you. Well Trinitas has always been a leader in behavioral health, as was the predecessor hospitals. There were three hospitals in Elizabeth, the Alexian Brothers, Elizabeth General and Saint Elizabeth. Alexian Brothers and Elizabeth General came together in nineteen ninety, and Elizabeth General and St. Elizabeth came together in two thousand one of the strongest behavioral health providers. So when they all came together, they put all the behavioral health services together at the Alexian Brother facility. And it has been hugely successful. We have the full continuum of care from outpatients to inpatients to mobile crisis to residential, partial hospitalization. And Dr. Farag can tell you all about our emergency services as well. But well, what happens is we are such a leader in this area that many people come from all over the state for our programs. We have almost 200,000 patients a year and our facility was looking very, very old. So, we decided the only way to handle this is to do a fundraiser because we have many patients that are either uninsured or underinsured. In fact, we lose money on 82% of our patient population. So the only way to fix the facility was to do fundraising. And we set a goal of $4.4 million. And I'm proud to tell you that we've been at this for a little while now, and we're already at $4.1 million. And we have a challenge grant. So for everybody who gives to us now, their money is going to be doubled. So we're doing a Peace of Mind event, as you said, and it's going to feature Mario Hemingway, who's going to talk about all the suicides in the Hemingway family, starting with her grandfather, Ernest Hemingway, including her sister, Margo Hemingway, and she's had seven suicides in her immediate family. So she's going to talk about suicide, and she's going to be interviewed by Jack Ford, who is a fabulous journalist. All the proceeds, the net proceeds from this event will go
1: towards the campaign, and we're hoping we're going to finish it up right then and there. And we're going to talk about all this tonight, but... Um, how would people, how do you register for the for the event, and what's the best way to find out about it? Well, it's on our website, trinitasrmc.org.
2: Go to the foundation, and you'll see that the event is going to be on October 29th. It's at the Park Savoy at Forum Park. If you buy a VIP ticket for $500, you'll meet Mario Hemingway, and you'll also get her book, and you'll be uh, in... Uh, great company with her for an hour, and then you'll get dinner, and then we'll have our presentation, and we also have a $300 ticket where you could just come for dinner and hear the presentation, so please come to TrinitasRNC.org,
1: go to the foundation, and you'll see all about our event. So now we've heard about the event, and then let's hear about why this is so important, and as you're creating this sort of home away from home from both youth and adult, um, those that come in through the emergency room, as acute patients and those that are a little bit more long term that are here and you treat both. And I think let me just ask but what is the age group that you treat? On the inpatient it's five to seventeen. And there's also an adult ward as well. Yes. Okay, so we're going to talk to Dr. Frog about this and tell us how you know the goal of this is to create a home away from home. And I've got to tell you I just had the absolute pleasure of having a, a mini tour of what's going on here. And I can't tell you how beautiful it is here, the work that's already been done to make the rooms bright and cheery, and everyone here is just so kind and we need to help we need to help you guys reach this goal because the work that you're doing is invaluable and so important. So tell us a little bit about what you do and sort of the insides and the medical uh sort of department and development, okay.
0: So I work in the psychiatric emergency services. So that's kind of like the entranceway to the hospital. So we receive a lot of patients that come in through the community, mostly Union County. So whether mobile screeners go out in the community, pick up the patients, there's an emergency situation, like if in the police are called or EMS, and something is going on that they need to come in acutely. Or sometimes they get transferred from other hospitals. So we accept patients from all over the state of New Jersey, also because our facilities do are you know um, they have the capacity to handle mm-hmm. different disorders, like developmental disorders and autistic disorders, in children, and um, a lot of different situations. So. The ER is where we see the patients, admit the patients upstairs to go upstairs. And you were talking about, like, why is it important what we're doing in terms of the foundation and um, changing the hospital or trying to make it, you know, a a great place to stay is because for a lot of the kids that get admitted, this is home. This is where they're going to be rehabilitated so that they're able to handle things when they um, are discharged and where we could kind of... Help we'll fix the immediate situation so that when they're back out there, they can get the tools. So this is their home for a little while. We want it to feel like home upstairs. And you said you were sort of at the get you the bridge when you come in
1: to, uh, to the emergency room portion of it. What happens? So let's sort of go down to sort of the, um, steps that, that happens once a child is brought in yes. and how, you know, there are beds in the, in the emergency room ward. And then we said they're more sort of a
0: long-term stay portion. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, so, I guess when when a parent signs a patient, and they, it's a, I guess it's a seven day admission. If they um, need to be here longer, if they need to be placed outside of the home, or something happens along those lines, uh, that's when they end up staying longer in the emergency room. It's just a place to um, you know where they stay until they go upstairs to the unit to the to the psychiatric unit. And again,
1: this is a facility that just helps everybody, every age, children and adults. but what's so unique is how you're helping these young children. I'm sure there are many parents out there right now listening and who've gone through something similar and you don't know what to do. You don't know when to call the police or the ambulance, or you don't know if it's you know is it something that would would necessitate coming to an emergency room at a facility like this. So maybe can you talk a little bit? to the parents out there who may be in the middle of a situation and don't know what to do
0: or don't know what signs to look for. Okay, so you know your child more than anybody else, right? So the biggest indication is this change of behavior, this change of personality. Um, We all know that, you know, kids are growing up, so there's going to be a normal kind of change in behavior, but when it seems just too much out of the normal, like they are really not functioning at the way that they should be functioning. Um, you know, if if you notice a big drop in their grades or, um, you know, they're isolating so they don't want to be around people, they don't want to have friends, they um, are just much more negative. They're not smiling, they're not laughing, they're not kind of um, being the way that they used to, but to an extent where you get worried about them. When you're worried about your child there's probably things going on and honestly I it is hard to talk to parents so as much as you know this once your kid you, this child that was once your kid coming up and laughing and talking to you all of a sudden they become withdrawn and sad and isolating um, their grades could drop they're not taking care of themselves they're showering They're so that so if you get concerned you know there are tools now there are resources now at our fingertips kind of help us help them get help, you know? So there shouldn't be this, like, stigma around seeking help for our kids, you know? Because sometimes parents feel like a failure or, well, I have to bring someone to treatment. I don't want to do all that because, you know, they'll be fine. We all went through this. But it's not like in the past where we just tried to get through life. Now it's more of like a preventative medicine. Let's try to help. Let's, do you know, figure this out before it gets too far. So, biggest thing to look out for for your kids, if they just, the change is too drastic, too much, and mm-hmm. or they're talking more negative and more dark. So, if it gets to that point and there's a safety concern, or just take that seriously, for sure. Mm-hmm. And when it is, and I guess I'm sure you've seen
1: just coming through the emergency room things that are just indescribable, and thank God you're here for those kids and those families and those parents, but sort of when does a parent, and again, it's going to be different, and it's going to be unique in every situation, but you may notice that there are some changes, and it's, you're not sharing, there are other things, but when does it get to the point where you may actually have to call 911 or have to come to the emergency room with that child? And any tips for parents out there who are just so it, it's just struggling and they don't know what to do. But, and, again, I know it's not. there's not a formula that you follow, but just something, so people know, like, wow, you know, I, it's okay if I call nine one one.
0: I think it's time that we do go over there. So a lot of nine is a scary number to call, yeah, right? Yeah. So so there are services that don't have to get to the point of calling nine one one. So there's um, Children's Mobile through, through Union County. There is a Children's Mobile services. They're called Perform Care. They come out to the home, like clinicians will come out and do therapy in home so that you don't have to feel like you're going to a hospital, or they respond to emergency situations, but they also are a group of uh, people that follow up um, in the community with the kids to do therapy in home, and that is actually a very useful tool. We refer many, many of the kids that come through to the ER, we refer them to that. They're called children's mobile crisis, or also another word for them is perform care. Every county has their own children's mobile unit or perform care. They're called.
1: And Nadine, that's something you mentioned earlier about the mobile, and, and can you tell us a little about that? How that works with Trinitas?
2: Well, we are the mobile um, crisis unit for the um, for the county, as Dr. Flores says, <laughs> and. I think usually they just try to determine immediately if the child in danger of hurting themselves or somebody else. Mm-hmm. And based on their assessment, uh, a decision will be made as to whether to do continue, if it's safe for the child to stay in the home or to bring them to our facility. And I have to tell you, this is what prompted uh, the campaign. A lot of times families are advised that Trinitas is the right place to go and sometimes parents would come here and they'd say, I know you're the best services, but we do not want to leave our child here. Mm-hmm. They didn't like the way the facility looked. And we heard this time and time again when people would go out in the community. They, they bring the, the family here and the family would say, I know this is the best place, but it's dark. It looks worn. I don't want to leave my child here. This is not therapeutic. Now, as you just saw, you come here and you can say, oh my God, this is a great home away Mm -hmm. from home. As you said, my child will feel calm and they'll have the best professionals and the facility is very
1: inviting. So that's how this all came to be. And it's true. We just, as I mentioned earlier, we witnessed that walking through the halls and we were able to see almost a before and after in certain parts. And it's just, exceptional what you've done. And I I would think one of the parents' hardest decisions is leaving a child here. And the fact that you are making it a home away away from home, not only benefits the children, but the family. I mean, this is devastating for families as well. And just why we call it peace of mind. This whole
2: thing was about giving peace of mind to parents and children and and patients of all ages. We want everyone who comes here to have that peace of mind. And that's why our event is called that also. We want people who gather. And last year when we had um, Pat uh, Patrick Kennedy, um, he talked about being bipolar and chemically addicted. We had hundreds of people and everyone came up to him and said, you know what, I suffer for them too. And I, I want to talk to you about my sister, my brother, my mother, my father, myself. And when we all came together, it gave everybody peace of mind. And that's why we're hoping people will join us on October 29th, because we all have people we love that need peace of mind, and they need the services. We even have services in Cranford. Mm-hmm. Um, if people don't want to come, we have a family resource center for people, and they come from outpatient therapy. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about it, uh, Dr. Fragno? Um
0: there is yeah, it's an outpatient. It's it was called the Family Resource Center. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's one in Bayonne also. So mm-hmm. yeah, we're reaching into the community so that, you know, so it's a bit this far, then there's other places like this.
2: And we are a regional medical center. You know, actually we provide some services in all 21 counties, uh, particularly when people are dealing with elderly patients. Mm -hmm. Um, We help train people at assisted living facilities how to keep people at the facilities and not rush them to psych emergency departments as soon as they see a sign of an aberrant behavior. So we truly are leaders in this field, and we're so excited to talk about it and to share what we do on an everyday
1: basis with people who need our services. And I think the title is so appropriate for a number of reasons. Yes, giving peace of mind to home away from home, but we talked about this earlier as well. How much is giving the people the opportunity to speak about something that has such a stigma and shouldn't? Because as we said, if it's not affecting us, it is certainly affecting someone close and dear to us or friends and family. And the fact that you're giving people the, the opportunity to open up about this and to start the conversation, I think that also adds a whole new level to peace of mind. Well, you're
2: absolutely right. You know, while, yes, we have a fundraising goal, we want to make uh, 250000 so that we can um, renovate our facilities, but it was also about starting the discussion, easing the stigma. That is the purpose of this as well. And we found it was hugely successful. We plan on doing this annually because people are asking for it. Yeah. The community needs it, and we want to be the resource, whether it's coming for psychiatric care or support. We want to be that resource for our community. They need us, and we're here for them.
1: And I also feel like maybe you're almost starting a whole new community. You know, sometimes it's not your friend group, and it's not where you're working that you can discuss about this. And the way to start the conversation is with like-minded people who are open and understand the importance of talking about this and conversing about it and getting it out there, which takes the stigma away from everybody, and helps. can only help these children when who may, you know, deep down realize, oh, my, they don't want to talk about it. They're embarrassed about what it is. And maybe if they see that we're all talking about this, it's going to make this a whole lot easier to start, you know, finding the solution. Um, and in talking about that, so basically here at Trinidad, there's an acute emergency room. There's a mobile unit. There's acute... Service where you can stay in a bed for, um, and how long can you stay in, in the beds in the emergency room side of it? It's usually a,
0: like a twenty-four hour observation until a decision is made. Mm-hmm. But if you come in for an admission, you you go upstairs in, in a couple of hours, in a few hours. So it, it but the longest you could stay um, is the twenty-four hours, or not the long, but I mean it's twenty-four <laughs> hour observation until we decide to do you want to go to treatment, you want to be discharged um, back home, and we get you know refer you to a, a, a setting. Or do you wanna go upstairs and be admitted? So you know, the ER is just a place you can come to if you're not feeling that great and if you have safety concerns any about yourself or any family member. So it's it's kind of just a place to Diagnose in the moment, yeah. yeah.
1: And again, for parents out there, you know, really struggling with this, to give them some roadmap of how this works, because you, you know, you don't know It's foreign territory. You don't know how to begin, and you don't want to make the right move or the wrong move in doing this. So you come through here, and a decision is made. And can you just tell us again about the number of beds and how long you can stay in either? You know, there there are two sort of divisions within. We have 40 beds for our child and adolescent. Adult beds, we have 58.
2: And of those, 10 on each, um, either the child or the adult side, is designated for for patients that are both developmentally delayed and mentally ill. And some of those could be for autistic patients. But I have to tell you a wonderful success story. We got a letter from the parent the other day, a parent of a 59-year-old child who was both developmentally delayed and uh, mentally ill. And she said for the first time she came, her son came a year ago, and she said for the first time in her child's life, he was treated appropriately. He was treated with the respect and the care that he needed and that the professionals all stayed in touch with her. They all coordinated with one another. He lives in a group home, and she said she had never seen anything like this, so much so that we're going to have a video at our event, and she is one of our movie stars, telling Mm -hmm. her story of how, for the first time, I mean, as a mother, you're a mother, could you imagine... For 59 years in your child's life, you never felt that they were well cared for. But these are our stories, and we have so many like that. Because we have the full continuum of care here, and we have so many resources, we have over 300 professionals in the behavioral health area at our facility and throughout our our system. And we can
1: diagnose and help anyone who comes through our doors. Again, I told you guys, you had to listen tonight and you're going to listen again to the podcast tomorrow because like we said, if it's not affecting you, it's affecting somebody you know and you love and they need to hear about this. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more specifically about how, and you hear you treat adults and youth and, and young children. And what have you seen arise in with younger children and um, symptomatically and, and what do you see yourselves treating more lately? So again, parents there can kind of understand what's happening. Um,
0: so, so, so kids basically, this is like, in childhood is the most important part of life, right? You, mm-hmm. Your their personality forming, um, different life circumstances, all of, like, so it's called a biopsychosocial model. So that, 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 that's the stuff going on around them really does affect them as kids. So, big things I'm seeing these days is going to be school. the only thing really in the kid's life is their school life and their family life. So when there's disarray and there's dysfunction in either school life or family life, that's when we're seeing um, big problems with kids. So a lot of times, um, I mean, a lot of the children that we're seeing have this chaotic family environment. If there's a lot of um fighting, arguments, hostility, cursing in the home. So that's why we always try to tell parents that what they do affects their child a lot. and what they witness some kids that we see, they're wet- they're witnessing domestic violence. Mm-hmm. So that's a kind of a big thing. Um, they witness their older siblings. So if they have older siblings and their older siblings are having problems or fighting or going through things that's going to affect the child also um and again anything going on between other family members divorce family death and when this brain is forming in the child all of that gets taken in all of this is absorbed and it really does affect a child as they're growing older and older so family situation is a big thing. Um, the initial caregiver, so a a child who's growing up and they need to form that attachment. They need to feel loved, um, that somebody loves them, that they want them. And that is important as a child is growing up. So when that's missing, we do see, um, mental health problems. Um, also as they start getting older, um, neurodevelopmentally, we're seeing a lot of kids and You know, you could say, oh, it's on the rise, it's on the rise, but I just don't think it was diagnosed in the past as much. So there's autistic kids, early intervention, noticing that the milestones aren't met, and, you know, they're trying to filter them through. So that's another class of um, problems that uh, um, in kids that we could see that we really try to help. So between family situation and also school situation, big time these days, kids are coming in being bullied and it's really um, great that the schools are having a lot of anti-bullying campaigns and really trying to stop it and actually punishment. And, and the law is even taking action against bullying, but still there. Yeah. And kids are still coming in saying they're sad and depressed because they're being bullied. And, yeah, often, like every day, every day. Um, so the ability to make friends. You know their self their self esteem is shaped by their social life, and just as an adult, if we're unable to engage with others, it can make us feel bad about ourselves. So yeah. imagine um, children also. Um, so and and we also want to try to raise kids who don't be the bullies. Right. Try to identify in your kid yeah. like is are they a bully? Are you doing anything? that could be per like look look at yourself too. Try to see like are you doing anything that the child could be mimicking so that maybe they're a bully to other people or you know, try to teach objective like morality what's good and what is bad. Like if there's anything to do in life is to teach a child what's objectively good and what's objectively bad and that'll help them to not be the bully. Um Also, because they mirror us, and and and, I mean, there's there's a lot going on, and kids like to be aware of all these things.
1: And and what about social media and this violence in the games that they're playing, and you know the the combination of the two, and I guess separating them, the social media where everyone is perfect, and that's all these kids are seeing from a very young age. They're not perfect, but the show that they're putting on and creating, it's all story. Mm -hmm. So everyone's creating a perfect story, and these kids who may be sad for whatever reason, like you said, bullying, or they're not making friends, or things at home are not great, or they just themselves don't feel great, and now they're seeing this on top of it. Do you see a rise in it? Or, I mean, do you see, Do you you see? are they opening up to you about this as well? Like, do you see this as being a big reason?
0: Of course. Actually, the American Academy of Pediatrics has now diagnosed something called Facebook depression. I mean, like, their measure of your popularity tally, status of Um, other people posting pictures of themselves having a good time. So it's just like constantly comparing yourself to other people and thinking that your life is um, not as good as theirs or the amount of friends you have, the amount of likes you get. Um, Yeah, I mean... All of this pressure, yeah. So <laughs> and what's terrifying
1: about that is, it's you may not talk to one person. I have, I may have a million friends, uh, you know, virtual friends, but I haven't talked to anybody in three days, right. or looked anyone in the eye, or or had any interpersonal communication with anybody.
2: I'm wondering if that's an issue too, Doctor Frog, where kids are so isolated, they're on doing Facebook, doing all mm-hmm. this social media, but they're not talking to another right. human being,
1: and just probably and. I would think if they adding to depression with this as well, because if you're
0: looking at yourself one way and you see everything else, mm-hmm. I mean, it's so easy to 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 um to say right. But I actually looked up studies because it's 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 obviously being studied more and more now. And you, so those this this study found that those who visited any uh like um like a social platforms. Um, I guess they did it per number. So if you went to, the, those who visited any social platform at least 58 times a week were three more, uh, three times more likely to feel socially isolated compared to those who, um, who use social media less than three times a week. And social media meaning, you know, all of them out there Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Google, YouTube, LinkedIn. I mean, but, it's, it's trying to show that you're suppo- you're doing it to feel connected to people, but mm-hmm. it's actually shown that it's proven that it's, you're socially isolating actually. Um, and and it's saying there was a San Diego State University study that teens who spend five or more hours a day um, online are seventy one percent more likely to have at least one risk factor um, mm-hmm. for uh, suicide depression as those who spent one hour. Um, So again, the more time you spend, it really is now like with the study linked to it.
2: I just went to a conference on suicide, and they said suicide is one of the world's greatest public health crises, that there's twice as many deaths from suicide than homicide, and that also depression, anxiety, and substance use increases, of course, the risk of suicide, and it's just unbelievable to me and also it was interesting that women are three times more likely than men to attempt suicide but men are three and a half times more likely to have a fatal outcome the
1: statistics are staggering what kind of health crisis suicide is at this point point? and can I ask you about that the age you're seeing it now with attempt even with attempted suicide
0: how young are, are, are you seeing that? so this is uh, suicide is the second leading cause of death for children ages ten to thirty four. I mean, for ages ten to thirty four, it's the second leading cause of death. Yeah, I mean, how, just listen to that for a minute to age ten, mm-hmm. and how and so
1: uh, again, everyone out there listening, it, you know, it's it's a terrifying statistic. It's a terrifying number you just gave. What are some things that we should be looking for? You know, and some some they hide well, right? So I don't know if this is some of these uh, the symptoms that you see, but cutting or you know, uh, uh, um, so food disorders. But the kids can hide this really well. Can you discuss some of that a little bit for people out there who? What should we be looking for? And and I know you said about behavioral signs, but what about these kind
0: of signs as well? Um, yeah. So cutting is becoming a big form of. Uh, you know, girls, children, I mean, adolescents, uh, females, and they feel like this is a way to release their anger and their stress and their sadness, and um, a lot of them say that it helps, and some say that it doesn't help, but, I mean, that's a, I mean, it's a big sign when someone is cutting, for sure, like, if is cutting, they should at least be in therapy. Um, it's, can, I, can I, I don't mean to interrupt, but for parents out there who aren't sure, like, how do you
1: approach this with a child? Like, you may have your suspicions, but, you know, you're scared to trigger something or to say something, or what if you say something and they go the other direction?
2: Well, I would love uh, Dr. Frog's opinion on this,
1: because I was just at a conference talking about suicide,
2: and you have to talk to your child about it. People think that they don't want to talk about it because they're afraid they're putting the idea in the child's head. And what the uh, experts there said, you know, you have to know whether the idea is in your child's head or not, and you have to bring up the subject. There's just no two ways about it. You have to find if this child is serious. And then you have to drill down. Do they have plans? Do they have a specific thought of how they would um, you know, take their own lives? And um, the um, experts at the conference were very, very strong about that and I would love your thoughts on this, uh, Dr. Farag because I know you're an
0: expert in child psychiatry, so right. so that is actually true in terms of people thinking that if I ask are you suicidal that's going to be put into their mm-hmm. head, but it doesn't work that way. If somebody does feel that way, you're not putting that idea into their head. Um, it's just this I guess inability sometimes of the child to talk to the parent about these things. Um, we there's a lot of trained professionals in school. Like m- many of our referrals and many of the kids we see come from school. So these guidance counselors now and social workers and this support um, in school is what's filtering it a lot because to put it all on the parent is a big. Sh- it's a big. Um, it, it, it's a lot so if even so if you have a concern I actually know parents that have gone to the school and told mm-hmm. them so because they have trained professionals there unlike um who know how to talk to them about this or who know how to um what to do next because it's not easy to tell a parent what to do next it's not something that you could I could just dictate right now every parent has a different relationship with their child and every child responds mm-hmm. differently to what a parent would say so if you're at all worried and you think that they could um, either reach out to – reaching out to school is a great idea, reaching out to mobile crisis is a great idea, just telling them, let's go see a doctor, you know, we'll, we'll work through this together, whatever's going on, just offer them that support, um, you know, be there to listen, try to understand what they're going through and put yourselves in their shoes, um, try to be empathetic and compassionate. Um, I guess try to – You can learn about, you can try to learn a little bit about the disorder and what they're going through, so that you can know what signs and symptoms to look out for. So you can, you know, try to do a little bit of your own learning too. But again, guided learning is going to be much better and much more beneficial because there's people who studied this and who really know what to do and what to look out for. So, but then if you're at all concerned about safety. That's when, you know, emergency services has to be involved versus just, okay, we'll figure it out, you know, when it gets to the point where you're worried about either safety of others or safety of your child, you know. I think on the on news there was an, uh, the other day there was a mom who reported her own son because he um, she found out he was writing things about wanting to shoot up the school. So she, I mean... It, we're we're at an age now where we're like looking for signs and symptoms and mm-hmm. and it's better to be safe than sorry because you don't want to be that mom that mm-hmm. your kid did that or you don't want to be the mom that overlooked all these signs and then your, your child ended up hurting themselves. So please seek help if you're concerned. And these other issues you were talking
1: about, not even not just suicide, but like the cutting or uh, eating disorders or addiction, or I mean, the list goes on and on and on. What is the, and again, it's going to be different in most circumstances, but like, how do you approach that topic? How do you set? you know, because many times, or I'm sure in many instances, that child is not going to want to get into that conversation, and because they've been hiding what they're doing, they're certainly not overly enthusiastic about immediately or initially opening up a conversation with you. How do you do something like that when you you suspect they're hiding something? You're not exactly sure. How do you begin that conversation? Or, you know, how do you investigate without violating their privacy at the same time? Like, What do you do?
2: At this conference, I just wanted to tell you this, and I want Dr. Farag uh, to respond. You know, the instinct as a, a a parent is you see a child that comes home uh, intoxicated. The first thing you want to do is punish them. You know, but there's a reason that they're intoxicated. So sometimes as parents, when uh, children are doing behaviors that we don't approve of, we have to take a step back. You know, uh, punishment isn't always the, the right first response, even though we want to, because we're upset too that they were drunk, you know, our inclination. Um, and so you want to do everything to ensure that you're punishing them and keeping them safe. You know, you feel better that they're going to be home. But a lot of times, you know, that's not the best first mm-hmm. response, even though it's one that we probably all grew up with. And, right. you know, but I, I would love to hear your thoughts on that, Dr. Farag. Um, you know, what is a better approach not to right away jump into the punishment. Try to start that dialogue. It's a hard dialogue, as you were saying, you know, especially if your child is hiding that they're drinking or they're smoking or they're, you know, doing behaviors they know you don't approve of.
1: Or even like a food, you know, if they're having some sort of a food problem, they're anorexic or they're bulimic or again, Like all of these things. And again, I, we just threw a whole bunch of different things out there. The point is to be non-judgmental. Mm-hmm.
2: I said, you know, the punishment is not the answer. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think you've got to start that dialogue, no matter how difficult it is. And I, I've listened to Dr. Frog. I know that <laughs> I know that those are going to be some of her recommendations that you have to either have those conversations yourself, or or seek the professionals that can have those conversations. Yeah. Parenting an adolescent
0: is very difficult as far as I heard. <laughs> I haven't gotten there yet. My daughter's nine, but we'll see when she gets there. But it is, I, um, I hear that it's going to be rough and it's a change. There's a lot, there's changing of hormones. They're trying to find themselves. They're confused. There's a lot of trying to figure out identity and things going on around them. So it's, oh, it's, it's a really confusing time. This, this, like, you're talking about with cutting and substance abuse, it's a quick fix. It's an easy way to just put a band aid on what they're mm-hmm. feeling right now. And you know, they um, still don't have the the resources in their um, in their in their head yet to to figure out better different approaches to deal with how they're feeling it's just a quick fix i mean that's why people get into substance use it's like initially it starts to self-medicate and um so when parents are are seeing that with their kids it, it must be really difficult it really must be very difficult and you know just show them that you're there for them you're still the same parent that you were when they were little kids that you can always go to them that you love them so much that no matter how hard things get you'll get through it so that support that that support system for any patient here is always like a protective factor so to know they know that they have their family so that's always really important
1: and again it's going to be different in each case i understand but is it so let's say you are being supported but there's still like you're still there's something going on and they're not opening up is it recommended or is it not, you know, should you, because you don't want to be accusatory, but can you come out and say, I think, you know, I heard you, you know, I think you're bulimic. I, I, I saw something and I, I, I think I saw something I shouldn't have seen. I, you know, people don't know what to do because you're scared if you say something, it's going to blow up into something bigger. Is that a dangerous thing to do? If they're not opening up back and you're trying to get this dialogue going, is it okay to say, this is what I'm worried about? I think I saw this. And I know there's not an easy answer to that, but
0: I, I think I think that's okay because if you don't approach them with that and you try to get some help behind their back, that could also mm-hmm. be seen as like a betrayal, kind of, right? So you initially let them know, like, hey, I know this is going on, let's try to fix it together. And if it's not getting fixed, if it's, continuing and then it's getting worse then when you get them help or and they still don't like it be like we tried we tried together and you were the one who refused so I don't know what to tell you right now so but my point is you it's okay it's okay to let them know like I know you're struggling let's figure this out I'm not leaving you let's figure this out so that persistence and you being there that's not going to be seen as a bad thing it's not something wrong to do
2: especially when it comes with love
0: Exactly. you know yeah. when
2: it comes from a place of love that you know I've loved you your whole life and now I'm seeing this yeah. and I want to I want to work with you to get through this hurdle you know you have a lot of people that love you we all want you to be well and you yeah. know um I think you know all the statistics show that people have gone uh, when they're suicidal. They usually have gone to seek help within thirty or forty-five days before they actually attempt or commit suicide. So many times, people are looking for that support, and as a parent, you know you're you're the right one to to be giving it.
1: And with these children, you gave a, a staggering statistic earlier that you've seen an uprising in suicides of children as young as, as the age of 10 years old. I, what? What? Where do you begin? I mean, what do you do with a 10-year-old child who shouldn't even know what that means? But in this day and age of, you know, access to everything and immediate access to everything, instant gratification. I want to know what this is. I can know within 30 seconds of what it is. How do you help that child? Is there, I mean, can you? I, I, you know, I, I don't even know. And again, people struggling out there. I mean, what's the first step to take?
0: Again, I think it's a, a, so. It's a case by case basis. It's hard to say the answer to that question. Um, but you say the question again. <laughs> so again, this
1: with these staggering numbers of a ten year old child. I mean, that's just inconceivable. Like. You know, years ago, would never even know what this is or that wasn't even an option or something that people did. But now with social media and, you know, and Internet and everything and the games that they're playing, everything is accessible and easy. It seems very easy. And it seems like it's getting more accepted Yeah. When you
2: find out that so-and-so committed suicide, you know, that was not even an alternative for dealing with things when we were growing up. We just didn't hear it. Now it seems like if you're in pain, this is a way to deal with the pain which is so sad, whether it's the cutting or suicide or not eating, you know. So I would love to hear what Dr. Frog uh, says about that, because when we were growing up, we didn't hear about that. So it's not in our frame of reference as parents. So we're at a loss, and we're not professionals, you know. So I love Dr. Frog's suggestion about seeking professionals, whether it's at the school or coming to a resource center, you know. We have them throughout the county. So they're accessible to everyone. Your child won't go. You go. You know. There, there's got to be a way that you can get the help that's needed. Nobody should be dealing with
1: this b- by themselves. And how a young child, a ten year old, can even process
0: that they've hit this depression, or that, you know, that they've hit this level. I mean, I think when it when this when it's that level of seriousness, and and it gets to that age, and there are things I think that we can't fathom or comprehend what's going on in their life. And when it happens to a child at that age or at at that time in their life, something really traumatic must have happened to them. Um, And, I mean, there is, working in the field, just hearing such sad stories about trauma, about loss, about um, this lack of attachment and this lack of love and um we don't see it so often in the communities but in the like psychiatric hospitals we do and it is really sad so we can't begin to comprehend sometimes what kids are going through and we try and we try and we try um but that's that's you know that's just the reason so what you can do when that happens is try to help, you know try to Be there, help them. Therapy, medications, love, um, you know, there's child protective services. There's different things in place that can um, really help families and children through these things.
2: And you know what's amazing? I have to share with you that we have a 15-bed residential facility for children that have all been sexually, physically abused. We even have children that have been trafficked. The resilience of these children is amazing. With the right group therapy and individual therapy, we've been able to turn lives around where children go on to college. They live wonderful lives. These are children that have never had an attachment to another adult. And they come back and they visit the therapist, they call. And these are kids that frequently when they've come to us, they've been in three, four, five different facilities. Sometimes they're one step before jail because they emulate the behavior that. They've experienced or they become fire setters or they're reaching out, really showing behaviors to get help. Um, And it's amazing when you see these children stay with us usually from six months to a couple years, three, four years. And it's amazing to see with therapy and with the proper care they live with us, they become family with each other, how well these kids can do in life. So there
1: is hope. And with the proper help, you'll be amazed how well children can do. Nadine, I'm so glad you said that because with a few minutes left, we were going to end this on a positive note. Because what we've talked about today are all the negative things, but you have to. This is the thing you need to talk about. We need to get this conversation going. We need to get get rid of the stigma, help these kids, and get, to the other side and I'm so glad you said that with a few minutes left I was going to ask you both maybe to leave us with a positive story or something which you just did about how you've seen these amazing success stories and that's what they can be they can be success stories by getting the word out by coming here and having you guys I mean just sitting with both of you today I mean has probably helped so many people out there but so if you have a positive note that we can end on um Just something that you could...
2: (laughs) Join us for the conversation. Come to us at the Peace of Mind event on October 29th. Meet Mario Hemingway. Talk with Jack Ford. Talk with all of our um, psychiatric professionals that will be be there. And talk to each other. Join in the conversation. If you have concerns, you have to talk to other people. We're giving you the forum to ease the stigma. Join us. Go to trinitasrmc.org slash foundation, find out about our event, and join in the conversation.
1: And how do people sign up again for the
2: event? They can call us at 908-994-8249. My, the Trinitas Health Foundation staff is available all the time, or you can go online to trinitasrmcorg forward slash foundation, and you'll see the invitation, and we welcome you to join
1: us. This is amazing, guys. I'm telling you, what we've learned tonight, there's no reason everyone should not be buying tickets right now. And, Dr. Frog, I just want to ask you as we end tonight to leave on a positive note again. We've said some scary things, but they have to be said. And it's only going to help people out there. But how do we end this and tell people and show the hope?
2: So
0: because now there is so much preventative um, this, it, we see it as preventative, med- this preventative medicine. So many supports. It was again different than when we grew up. We didn't have social workers in school trying to filter out what was, you know, everything. And we didn't. Um, we now have tools at our fingertips to really help us. So these kids that are struggling, the child is struggling. They're going to get through it. They are. They're going to get through it. You just you seek the proper um help and i've seen so many kids come out of what they're going through it's a tough time life is hard life Mm -hmm. is hard these days it's you know we feel like we need to be super mom and super woman and you know be on top of everything and, and and it's seen as weak if you're not but we're not seeing them as weak anymore we're seeing um it's it's not a weakness to have a mental illness it doesn't mean that you can't handle life it just means that there's you need support along the way and there's so much support to be offered out there and we're all here to help and we love to help and I love to see a good story where somebody comes out of it feeling much better than when they came in.
2: And they can go to trinitasrmc.org uh, and look up behavioral health and they can see all the programs that we have.
1: I, I can't think of a better way to end this. Again, a terrible topic to discuss when it needs to be discussed but how about that ray of hope at the end that by opening the discussion and by opening the conversation, there is hope. And thank God for women like you, Dr. Frog and Nadine, who are just here to help us at all times and to make it a better place, to make it a home away from home, which is what's going to come of the peace of mind event and all the fundraising that you've done. And Dr. Frog being at those doors were the scariest times ever, I think in a parent's life and a patient's life coming through those emergency room doors. And I would think seeing you, is probably the most helpful thing that could happen. And thank God for you for being there. And I want to thank, and Victory PR, thank you for allowing us to come and do this show here tonight at the Trinitas Behavioral Health Facilities in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Again, there's hope. There's a home away from home, and there's hope. And we just got to be there for each other. So thank you so much for doing this tonight. We're going to get this word out, and um, we'll see everyone next week. Good night, everyone.
0: Thank you for having us.